the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good afternoon. Happy uh, Fourth of July, everyone. Hope you're having a safe and fun and hot (laughs) Fourth of July. It's July, and it's South Carolina, so heat's going to play a role into it, and humidity, too. But anyway, I hope you're having a good one. Thank you for tuning in if you're listening. Uh, going to be a little bit of a a best of, or what you want to call this, uh, well, best of 4th of July show. I think uh, we replay the uh, segment we did with uh, Sammy Davis, Medal of Honor winner. I think he's got a really good message for our country right now. And an incredible story. He's known as the real Forrest Gump, and listen to this, and you'll find out why. And then we'll uh, reach back a little bit further and, and talk to a couple of pilots here from the U.S. Air Force and from the Air National Guard about uh, flying and why and for what. You salute from the shore took place today again. And uh, there's some fireworks. Lake Murray uh, is one of the, having one of the big ones out of Drear Island. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of neighborhoods. Since all the other 4th of July celebrations are gone, I guess there's going to be a lot of people putting on community fireworks displays. So just be careful with those. <laughs> we were talking about earlier about some of the things we did as kids with bottle rocket wars and M80s and cherry bombs. And, you know, I guess we tried to kill ourselves and didn't. But uh, anyway, just be safe. Thanks for listening. I'm just going to let this go right into the first segment. So y'all hang on. It's going to be a great show. Back live next week. South Carolina. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, I have a wide variety of guests on here, not only from the outdoors, but uh, from other walks of life. And you know also that I like to travel. And one of the trips I took was I went down to the National Rifle Association Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, a few months ago. And wouldn't you know it, you walk around the corner, something catches your eye, and you meet someone like Sammy Davis. And if you don't know who he is, you've probably seen him on your TV. But we'll save that for the end because I want everybody to listen to what he has to say, and then we'll tell you where you've seen him. But, Mr. Davis, welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. It is an honor to have you on the show. It's an honor to be here with you, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's You're a busy you're a busy man. I mean, when we talked, uh, you told me you 200 days a year on the road speaking. Yes, sir, at least 200 days a year traveling and speaking, trying to encourage America to stand up and take part in America. Which is one of your, and, and I don't mind starting off with this, it's one of the, the tabs on your website. It's called The Promise. And yes, it, sir. It is, um, it'll make you tingle. It's really, it, it gets to you that much, especially if you're a patriotic type American. Take just a minute and talk about The Promise. Well, The Promise is what all of us feel in our heart. 
that we need to stand up and take part in our country for all those who have served our nation in the past it's one of the debts that we owe them that's what i feel in my heart so that's one of the reasons why we're on the road 200 plus days a year traveling and trying to encourage america to stand up and take part in this great nation and that is part of the promise that we can do this so let us all accomplish that you are a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. In fact, we're coming up on almost 50 years. November 18th, 1967 uh, was yes, the, the date you went in in 1965 and just a year out of high school. But you come from a long line of, of military servicemen. Uh, you know, your grandfather in the Spanish-American War, your father in World War II, brothers in Korea and Vietnam. Was there any question in your mind about whether you were going in the military or not? Oh, no, sir. I knew I was going to serve. I, that's why I wanted to, as soon as I graduated from high school, I joined. Uh, they couldn't get me in until September 28th. So I had a whole summer there. To I, I went to work in the oil field. Oh, wow. Made lots of money and got really physically in shape. <laughs> I bet you did, because you didn't start out at the top. You probably started out low man on the totem pole. Definitely started out a low man on the totem pole. <laughs> well, take us through, I mean, I don't know where to start asking you questions about what happened. I, if you would just take it and, and tell us the story of that battle, that two hours of your life that's almost 50 years ago now. Well, sir, they there were a reinforced heavy weapons battalion of NBA and 42 artillerymen. Now we did have segments of infantry of our infantry around us, okay. uh, but there were only 42 artillerymen. And the enemy decided that they were going to take our howitzers away from us, our 105 howitzers away from us. And we decided that we weren't going to let them. So they hit us at two o'clock in the morning, oh. and that's when they started. Mortaring us, and after the, the the mortaring lasted for half an hour exactly. Okay, it started at two and ended at two thirty. And I remember that because I looked at my watch when I started, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it was very intense mortaring. Okay, and then at two thirty exactly, it quit. And I looked at my watch again and go, "Wow, two thirty exactly." Well, that told me that it was a real timed right. Thing that you know that something was going to happen, and then sure enough, from across the river, that's when we seen all the movement and the people shouting, you know, "GI tonight, you're going to die." So, so all ready. so all this took place at night. Yes, sir. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning. Now you were an inf you were a mortar man, uh, artillery artillery man. Um, yes, sir. And you fought them off with the artillery. You fought them off with a regular rifle, machine gun. Yes, sir. And they teach you to do all that in basic training. You put together, you you did everything they taught you how to do all the way through, didn't you? Most certainly. Reinforced the belief that that's what they teach you because you're going to need it. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> uh, now, they, they came at you from two sides. Was there, in your mind, I guess, I don't know if you were too busy to think about it, in your mind, was there ever a thought that we're going to lose this? 
Well, I never, I don't remember thinking that we're going to lose. I remember thinking that I probably would not survive the night simply because that's where the main force was coming across was right in front of my gun. So I thought, well, but I'm not going to quit trying. Right. Because I knew if I quit trying that the guys that were further behind me wouldn't have a chance either. So that's why I did my very best. I did for my brothers what I knew in my heart they would do for me. And you were wounded numerous times, numerous places. <laughs> yes, sir. I was <laughs> blowed up, burnt, shot. But you don't lose till you quit trying. That's right. And that was, that was one of your – when we talked to you in Atlanta, you had a saying that you that – you, told my me and my daughter taylor and that was what you don't lose until you quit trying that's it that's no matter it. what you're faced with in life truly you don't lose until you quit trying you're right you're so right and you of all people would know because you keep trying yes, now sir. there's a you know besides being wounded staving off attack from you know the north vietnamese you don't swim Oh, no, sir. I knew how to swim. Oh, okay. But you were wounded too much to swim. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My back was broke. My ribs was crushed on the right side. Uh, my body wasn't working well. That's why I thought, well, if I take the air, if I get the air mattress, you know, blow it up and take it across, that at least I can get across and get the guys back. So that's what I used was an air mattress. Why were the Americans on the other side of the river from you? Was that? Like that was our infantry. On the front guys. line. They were over there doing their job. Normally, when infantry is sent in to protect the artillery, it's okay. it's one of the great jobs. That means they can, you know, cool out for <laughs> four to six hours or whatever, and okay. get get a little bit of rest. Because normally the enemy don't mess with the artillery because we've got big guns. Right. But that night, that's what they wanted was those big guns. They wanted to load them on the sandpans and take them into Saigon for what would would be Tet of 68. Okay. Okay. Now, so you're all the wounds you've got, you blow up an air mattress, you go across the river, you bring three American wounded men back. Yes, sir. You found another gun, how it's to use. And you kept on fighting? Yes, sir. For two hours? Well, actually, they didn't break contact until about 8 o'clock in the morning was the last contact that I can remember having with them. And by 9 o'clock, we were getting dust-offs in to get our wounded out. So it was actually a few more hours than just two. <laughs> the two hours were extremely intense. Okay. And then the rest of the night, was they were... The enemy was still doing their job. Now explain to us what a dust off is, because not uh, I know as a, a history fanatic or whatever what a dust off is. Or what's a dust off in the military terms? A dust off is when the helicopter comes in to pick up your wounded, and they were able to because of the intense fire, they weren't able to come in before almost nine o'clock, as I remembered. And when we started bringing those in, well, naturally we put our most wounded, sure, most severely wounded that were, but still we thought they were going to survive. You put them on first and get them out to get them to the docks, and then the last ones that you put on are are the ones that were killed in action. How many men did y'all lose that night? With the infantry and everything, sure, 
I've, I've never sat down and counted, actually, but there were way too many. Way too way many. Way too many. Almost all, every one of the artillerymen were wounded. Now, we didn't lose any artillerymen. Okay. Not, none of the artillerymen was killed, but unfortunately, a lot of our infantry brothers were. So, How long did you stay in the hospital after that battle? Well, I, they sent me to Dong Tam, and from Dong Tam, they sent me to uh, Japan, and that's where I kind of woke up, woke up. Okay. Realized that, wow, I was in Japan, and they said that they were going to retire me from the Army, send me home, and retire me from the Army because of my injuries, and I told them I didn't want to be retired from the Army. I wanted to go back and be with my brothers. Um, I didn't even know the name of it then. Now I know was I, I didn't have closure because I I passed out I passed out loading my brothers on the helicopter and they just picked me up and put me on the helicopter and sent me out. So, but General Westmoreland interceded on my behalf and allowed me to go back to my unit. And soon as he said, soon as I could walk, I could go back to my unit. So. Wow, I got to go back by, oh, let's see, just after uh, New Year's. Of 69? 68. 68. Yes, sir. Wow. Well, how long and did of you... Of course, I still had lots of, I had packing in my wounds, and so I couldn't do my job as an artilleryman. That's when my captain made me a cook. <laughs> <laughs> Made you a cook? Yes, sir. Because I could, I could only stand for just short periods of time. And my first job as being a cook was slicing the the homemade bread that the cooks would stay up all night baking bread so the kids could have something hot and good to eat in the morning. And they gave me the honor of slicing the bread. And as they would come through the chow line, I would give everybody the bread that was my first job and that was about as long as i could stand then i'd have to go lay back down again and of course had all kinds of antibiotics in me because i had infection right. all through my body i got hit by beehive oh you know wow. beehive is yes sir but go ahead and tell everybody else what it is oh it's little arrows inch to an inch and an eighth long and about the diameter of a pencil lead and they look like little arrows they're they got four fins on the back of them and that's one of our weapons, and it's extremely effective. Uh, according to the Geneva, Geneva Convention, you can only use a beehive round when you're in imminent danger of being overran. And with what happened that night, we felt we were justified in firing it. Well, the guys in the gun behind me, they thought I was dead. Because oh, they wow. seen them blowed up and everything. So right. they, and the enemy was all around, so they started firing the beehive over my position and that's what woke me up when the beehive hit me it because i'd been blown unconscious okay and when the beehive hit me that woke me up and that's what started the process of me seeing what was happening because i was right on the river so the enemy were coming up out of the water and right there and how old were you when this all took place i was 21 years old I had just turned 21 on November the 1st. Well, all the things that I dreamed when I was younger that I'd be doing when I turned 21, that was not one of them. But <laughs> right, I, sure. I did the best of, that I could, best of my ability. And, and, and 
to those of us who have never served, it's so foreign. I mean, it, you'd like to think you would do it in that situation, but you never know until you're that situation what you'll do. Well, that's a fact. I did for my brothers what I knew in my heart they would do for me. And that's what I, that was the prayer that I kept telling myself and the man above, sir, just let me do my job. Sir, just let me do my job. And that's, and he kept his word and I did my job, but I'm still doing my job. You are. You retired in 1984? Yes, sir. And so for the last, wow, 30 some odd years? You've, yes, been, you've been you've been supporting others, still doing your job. Well, trying to encourage America to stand up and take part in itself. That is the promise. You um, you just gotten back in off the road, and and when I talked to you Friday, you were headed out to a National Guard unit that was fixing to deploy. Yes, sir. What did you tell those young men and women? You don't lose till you quit trying. Go out and do your job, guys and girls. And you and do they, that? Uh, well, I answered a lot of questions because that's what I, I opened it up to question and answer. Right. And of course, I had some really unique questions, and I gave them my answer. I opened <laughs> up my heart and let them look in. Um, what would be a question that opened up your heart and let them look in? <laughs> <laughs> you on the spot. Oh, that's yes, all right. Um. In, uh, you were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor in 1968, is that correct? Yes, sir. November the 19th, 1968. One year and one day from the action. And that was by President Lyndon Johnson? Yes, sir. That's the footage that you see in the movie Forrest Gump. There you go. I knew we'd get around to it. I didn't know if you'd have to bring it, you'd bring it up or I'd have to. And that's what I say. You've seen Sammy Davis on your television screen. If you if you're like me, it was on most of the week. I forget what channel it's on. But Forrest Gump was running back to back to back, and I, I had I had to tune in and watch uh, because when you see Forrest Gump or or, or uh, gosh I can't remember the actor now Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. Uh, oh. when you see Tom Hanks receiving the Medal of Honor, that's actually you with Tom Hanks' head on your body. Yes, sir. That's a fact. They just. Put my face or Tom's face over my body, over my head. Did you know they so were going to do? Mama's... Go ahead, son. Those are your knobs on the back of your head. <laughs> A mother always knows. <laughs> Did you know they were going to use your footage? The Pentagon called and told me, and when they first called and told me, they said, "Well, there's a." a production company here that wants any and all film footage that we have concerning you and i said well really well what they're going to do with it well beings it's a, a movie production company we're taking for granted that it's going to be involved in a movie at some point and i said well what's the name of the movie well, well we don't know <laughs> and it took about oh two three months before we got all the information and finally well they called and said well it's the movie is going to be based on the book Forrest Gump. So I immediately went out and bought the book and read it. The book is not like the movie. Okay. The book did not make my heart feel good. Uh, but when the movie came out, they had realigned the book, and the, the movie makes me feel very good. And they definitely used You Don't Lose Till You Quit Trying. Yes. And, and the, the difference in the movie 
in your situation is you actually swam the river to rescue servicemen on the other side and brought them back across Forrest Gump stops on his side of the river. Yes, sir. That's a fact. That is a fact. <clears throat> um, interesting little thing, and it says here in 2005 your medal was stolen out of the trunk of your car? Yes, sir. And you got it back a few days later? It was going three nights, four days. And that was a long time period because I felt I'd let my brothers down because I had allowed my medal to be stolen. But the police department in Indianapolis, Indiana, came forth, and they worked 25 hours a day, and they got it back. It was going three nights and four days. What does that medal mean to you? I mean, you've, you've got... You've got the Medal of Honor, Silver Star, and two Purple Hearts. What do those represent and mean to you? Well, it means I did my job to the best of my ability. The, the Medal of Honor is the honor, duty, honor, country that is in all of our hearts, and that's what that represents, it, the love and brotherhood that all the military shares. Coming up on the 4th of July, in fact, this will air July the 1st. Oh, excellent. And um, I always do a patriotic show. You're going to be on with um, another thing we do here in South Carolina called Salute from the Shore, where we have military jets from, it has been from Charleston Air Force Base to Shaw Air Force Base to McIntyre Joint National Guard Base. They fly the South Carolina coast from north to south. Everyone is encouraged to go out and red, white, and blue flags, go big, uh, show your patriots support our veterans, both who have served, who are serving, who will serve. I've had the privilege of seeing that, and it is indeed a spectacular event. It is, and I, I'm, I'm great that you've seen it. What would you say, in closing, to anyone listening who is listening to this and would like to go forward, what would you say to them? I want to encourage everyone to stand up for what you believe is right in your heart. And I'm not talking about political alliances i'm talking about america it to correct the problems that's in this nation it takes all of the american people working together and all of us standing up firmly for what we believe is right in our hearts and we don't lose till we quit trying so god bless everybody and happy fourth of july mr sammy davis it has been an honor i am so glad <clears throat> i look back over my right shoulder in atlanta and saw you, met you. Thank you for taking a few moments that day to talk to my daughter, Taylor. She's talked about you often since then. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Um, I'm honored and, and absolutely speechless in my um, respect for you, sir. We'll give Taylor a hug for us. I will do that. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, keep you safe. Thank you, brother. Thank cool. you, sir. Welcome back to 4th of July on Woods and Water, South Carolina. You know, I've had some, I guess, famous guests on the show, but I have never had a guest that I am more honored to talk to and introduce to you than one of the captains from the 79th Fighter Squadron called the Tigers from Shaw Air Force Base here in South Carolina. How are you today? 
I'm doing great. How you doing, Roger? I am doing wonderful. And and I said before, I am honored. I, I want to thank you, first off, for your service to our country. And oh. above that, thank you for coming on Woods and Water. Oh, no, I really appreciate it. Very, very nice. Um, I guess one of the burning questions on everyone's mind is, were you always interested in flying? Yeah, I mean, I guess the long story short, yeah. I grew up in uh, North Carolina. Oh. I'd always been interested in flying, but I didn't think, honestly, I'd qualify because I wore glasses when I was younger. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, so I'd like to let everybody know that I don't have 20-20 vision. You can totally be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. Uh, there are waivers that can happen. Okay. When, when you have that problem, do you just shoot what's in the middle, not uh, the ones on the outside? Yeah, they, they got some pretty neat techniques nowadays with contacts and uh, laser surgery that kind of help you out once you get in the Air Force. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Um, so you grew up here in North Carolina. You, you love to fly. I mean, what what's one of your favorite airplanes to fly? Yeah, so uh, joining the Air Force, I hadn't flown any previously. Really? So the Air Force has taught me everything I know as far as flying aircraft. Wow. I've flown uh, DA-20s, T-6s, T-38s, and I finally settled in on the Viper, which is F-16, and I'll right. my personal favorite. That's your favorite? Hell yeah. I've got about 800 hours in it. It's uh, been pretty awesome. For wow. Time. And for those of you sitting in a desk behind your chair, that's almost five months of going to work every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the J-O-B, uh, day and day, Monday through Friday, and sometimes the weekends. But, yeah. Uh, I love it every second. You know, I have sat in the cockpit of an F-16 back in, like, the mid-80s when oh, yeah. Shawfest was going on, and and you could climb up and sit in one, and, and as a, I was just a teenager then. Sitting in that cockpit, you could you could see a little bit of the nose out in front of you. Of course, the heads-up display, and I had to, I thought to myself, this has got to be one of the coolest seats to sit in for a job. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, flying has been an absolute dream. They talk about you strap into a Viper where other aircraft kind of fit into them. And right. Like that. It's small. It's lightweight. Uh, you knock them out one at 1.5 hours a day uh, in the Block 50, and uh, it's the best that uh, money can't buy. Uh, <laughs> that's just been a unique experience, and I like to thank everybody out there for helping me achieve my dream. Oh, it's uh, we like to thank you for for defending our country and representing South Carolina. Uh, tell us what you can about the F-16. Yeah. So uh, all the pilots refer to it as the Viper got a thrust to weight, uh, about one-to-one, -one, meaning uh, vertical takeoff should be possible if required for some reason. Okay. It's uh, smaller, so it's just got just enough gas to get to the target and back. And while we're doing that, we can hit altitudes of about 50,000 feet, 1,400 miles an hour uh, if required. Last thing is additionally, it pulls nine Gs, which is, can be a very intense and brutal experience. I imagine. That, yeah, that puts my weight right around uh, 1,700 pounds and my, uh, my nugget at 90 pounds, so my head. And all this wow. means that uh, it just hurts a lot. But anyone anyway, it's between you and him. Uh, you'd like to build a full 90. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. It's the difference between surviving and not surviving. Yeah, exactly. When you say your your body multiplies, can you explain to us just a bit how that multiplier happens? Yeah, I don't, so I don't want to uh, get too ridiculous with the science, sure. but long story short, while we're sitting here talking on the phone, uh, it's 1G is what you feel right now. So I weigh 185 pounds or so. Okay. And then uh, as you start to uh, turn or start to get into a bank of a turn, those Gs start to multiply. Uh, and then... At a given airspeed, the more G you can pull, the tighter you can turn. Okay. And hopefully you can turn inside the other guy and uh, potentially defend yourself. And your body just, that does G-forces just multiply the effective weight of your body? It does, yeah. So, like, if you see, if you ever end up being a fighter pilot after 9 Gs, you'll be able to look at his body, and there's going to be little measles all over his body. Okay. It's actually burst capillaries from all the blood pressure that's gone to the bottom of their, like, bottom of their arms, the sides of their chest. It's Ooh. pretty nasty. My mom thought once that she freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun while you're doing it, and then afterwards you're sore. Okay, okay. So it's fun once, and then you figure it out. 
Yeah, well, then you've got to do it again the next day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, since uh, we'll get, we're going to get to the salute to the shore just quickly, but since none of us listen will ever know what it's like flying an F-16, punching an afterburner, playing around in the clouds, is it just the best adrenaline rush you've ever had? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, we do 1.5 hours at a time, but as soon as you close that canopy and uh, you go to the start, too, so the motor gets started there. Okay. Uh, I mean, the jet rumbles alive, it shakes a little bit, lets you know it's alive. And okay. Then, uh, you get down, taxi down down the runway, they arm you up, so they pull the pins, and you know it's time to go. So, air-to-air configured load, she's light, rolls uh, pretty quick, and with a big motor, can sustain pretty well in dogfighting. Right. And you kind of mentioned you can barely see the nose when you're sitting there. Right. The biz in the F-16 is the best that I've ever seen. Okay. So my ability to sit in my cockpit and look out and see the enemy is better than, I think, anything out there uh, today. So combine that ability to dogfight with sustaining energy and that visibility, the thing will hold its own against anything out there. Uh, I love to see him. I love to hear him. I was down for the East Coast, East Coast Viper demo at Media Day and just, oh, I was yeah. in heaven. In heaven. Well, tell us, how is it that Shaw Air Force Base is participating in Salute from the Shore? Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, it came down from our leadership, and uh, I think everybody loves Fourth of July in America, so that's pretty awesome. So having the ability to take the Vipers down the coast and get a little face time with the public hopefully bolsters our presence to the public and let them know that hey, we're here and that we're standing ready for anything that, you know, essentially the government or the public calls on us ready to do. So, and then for me, it's cool because we get to express thanks to the support that we get from the public. Like yourself, you mentioned, uh, I appreciate all that support. Uh, plus, I get to tour the beaches in South Carolina. There you go. There you go. Will this be your first flight down the coast? It uh, it actually will be. Uh, there There's a couple of training opportunities out there, and I've done none of them. So this will be my first flight of South Carolina down the coast. That's going to be awesome. Can't uh, think of a better day to do it than July 4th. Well, I was just fixing to say that when I interviewed the um, the gentleman from Salute the Shore, he said there'd probably be a million people on the beaches. Jeez. And if... Uh, you know, if a quarter of those have American flags, boy, I tell you, you will have no problem picking them out, will you? No, that's going to be that's gonna be amazing. Be <laughs> now, I, I'm sure going down the coast, you're not going to be wide open. What? Uh, how fast will you be going when you're going down the coast? Uh, yeah, we're going to be holding back a little bit. Uh, the folks out there can expect I'll be doing what we call 350 indicated, which okay. is about 400 miles an hour. And I'll be anywhere from about 500 feet above ground to about uh, 1,000, depending on you know, the traffic that's out there. Okay. Now... That uh, it's just incredible, and that's got to be a view that not only flying down the beach, but all those flags is going to be great for you guys. Oh, it'll be serene. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing? Yeah, I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure serving this Air Force for y'all. I'd like you to come out of the beaches of South Carolina, and as long as Mother Nature cooperates, I'll be out there. Thanks a lot. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate the Air Force, all the armed services, and have a very, very, very good Fourth of July. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, what a job. What a job. And I kid you not, when you are sitting in the cockpit to an F-16, there's nothing that gets in your way. The, co- the, the body of the jet slopes away from you on either side. The nose is just barely visible. And, uh, wow, if you've, ever, if you've ever sat in one, you know what I mean. If you haven't, chance you might never get now. Things have really changed, but... Uh, we appreciate the U.S. military, not only for supporting Salute to the Shore, which is a private 501c3 organization. We appreciate him for providing the captain to come on Woods and Water South Carolina and talk and tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a fighter pilot. And I was down at the media event there for the East Coast Viper, 
And you can go to the Woods and Water South Carolina Facebook page and the website. And I have put up some pictures from that day. And it was incredible. I'm a, I'm a runway junkie from way back. So it was, it was, uh, it was a day in heaven for me or a couple hours in heaven with the, um, you know, jets taking off, the afterburners, the, and like I said, the, the Thunderbirds are kind of the grandiose, smoke trailing display for the u.s air force the east coast viper demo team is here's what the f-16 can do in a fight and uh, they do it very well very very well so that was kind of cool that's your that's the fourth of july show here i'm going to continue on with a little bit we were talking about francis scott key and and how the flag came and we had talked a little bit about the um the commander of the garrison there at fort mchenry asking for a flag and he said it's my desire to have a flag so large that the british will have no difficulty in seeing it from a distance so he hired a 29 year old widow and professional flag maker mary young picker pickersgill of baltimore maryland to make a garrison flag get this measuring 30 by 42 feet with 15 stars and 15 stripes of course each star and stripe representing a state a large flag but not one unusual for the time over the next six weeks mary her daughter three of Mary's nieces, a 13-year-old indentured servant, and possibly Mary's mother, Rebecca Young, worked 10-hour days sewing the flag using 300 yards of English wool bunting. They made the stars, each measuring two feet in diameter, from cotton, a luxury item at the time. Initially, they worked for Mary's home, now a private museum known as the Flag House, but as their work progressed, they needed more room and had to move to Claggett's Brewery across the street. On August 19, 1813, the flag was delivered to Fort McHenry. Get this, for making the Star-Flangled Banner, Mary was paid $405.90. She received another $168.54 for sewing a smaller 17 by 25 feet storm flag, likely using the same design. It was this storm flag, not the garrison flag known now known as the Star-Flangled Banner, which actually flew during the battle. The garrison flag, according to eyewitness accounts, wasn't raised until the morning. There's your little bit of a history lesson. And hang on. We're going to take a break. Come back on the other side with more Woods and Water, South Carolina. It's always an honor on Woods and Water, South Carolina, where we can talk to our armed forces, both here in the state, across the nation. And again this year, in conjunction with Sloop from the Shore, we're interviewing Colonel Gandhi. From McIntyre Joint National Guard Base, we appreciate you taking time out here today to be with, be with us. How are you? Doing great. Very good. Well, I've always referred to, even when I was a little kid, to McIntyre as kind of our own little personal South Carolina Air Force. Uh, but introduce yourselves to us. Talk briefly about how you became part of the South Carolina Air National Guard. Well, I'm the vice commander for the 169th Fighter Wing. And we fly the uh, F-16 out of McIntyre Joint National Guard Base. We share the base with uh, the Army Aviation segment of the Air National Guard, excuse me, of the Army National Guard. And at McIntyre, they fly the AH-64 Apache and the UH-60 Blackhawk. And uh, they fly those in support of both federal and state missions. We fly the F-16 primarily in a federal mission. Okay. I've been a part of the South Carolina Air National Guard for the last 15 years, 
And instead of talking about really my story, I kind of like to talk a little bit about the story of the folks that we have out here, the great South Carolinians that uh, are serving uh, our state and nation. Sure. Most, I would say a good number, at least of the pilots, preponderance come from the active duty, but we do grow our own from within the state. You know, we'll have a, a young, highly motivated individual come in and go through an extremely competitive process to become a fighter pilot. Oh, wow. So the other so they can do that without having been military and coming in, right? That is correct. Wow. So it is an extraordinarily competitive process, and as a result, we get some of our finest citizens to come serve with us. Now, most of our pilots do have previous military background. Okay. Almost all of them will have previous fighter background. And uh, they come to the air. They come to the South Carolina Air National Guard for a variety of reasons. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, not everyone gets promoted to be uh, general officers in the active duty Air Force, and some people, frankly, don't want to do that, and that's perfectly fine. The United States taxpayers spend a lot of money training guys to do this job, and uh, this is a fantastic way to capture that investment and. Uh, have a ready force to go. I mean, we're effectively the federal militia in that context, ready to uh, serve when required by the government. I understand that. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about yourself, but just for just because I like to to make this comparison, how many flight hours do you have? I have a little bit more than four thousand flight hours in the F sixteen, which is. <laughs> For the ordinary guy like me who sits behind the desk, that's two years. <laughs> and it's always an amazing thing to think about how much time you spend, you know, in that cockpit. It's it's incredible, and boy, are you lucky. I agree. I'm very fortunate to be available to serve our great nation and state for as long as I have. I, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate, living the American dream. Yes, sir. Now, were you, were you um, in the military before you came to the South Carolina Air National Guard? I was. I went to school at the United States Air Force Academy, spent approximately 11 years on active duty, and then transferred my commission to the South Carolina Air National Guard. Wow. I've been here for 15 years now. That's, that's the Air Force Academy. That's a beautiful place out there. Uh, rode by one time. My dad had a J3 Cub, and, you know, the Cubs were pulling the gliders, and he was like, yep, that's where they start out, right there in the Cub. Um, that's the truth. Tell us just a little bit. I mean, you know, McIntyre has always been there. Uh, I remember as a kid going to see the Thunderbirds there when they were flying the T-38, so that's been a few years ago. Give us a little history of McIntyre and uh, and what their mission statement is. So the base uh, has been around for some time. It was originally called Congaree Air Base. The South Carolina Air National Guard was formally founded in 1946. And uh, they first drilled in December 1946, and that actually precedes the uh, formation of the of a separate Air Force by about a year. Okay. So uh, we've been here flying single-seat, single-engine fighters uh, since that day. We've had some support aircraft uh, from time to time, and that, that's changed. Uh, currently, we fly the F-16. We've been doing that since 1983 in the mid-'90s, 1995-ish. We switched from the A model to the uh, latest version of the C model. We call it the uh, CJ. It's been redesignated a CM. That's mostly semantics, but uh, what that really means is that the aircraft has been upgraded, modernized 
to uh, have the most robust capabilities that we have in the Air Force, just alongside our uh, active duty brethren. And which are which are really just right down the street, literally at Shaw Air Force Base. Yes, they've got uh, three squadrons over there, and uh, you know we have quite a bit of combat air power here in the state of South Carolina, especially when you roll in the fact that you've got our Marine brethren down there at Buford uh, Marine Corps Air Station. You mentioned a little earlier that most of your flying is done for the on the federal side or the U.S. military side. Does does McIntyre have a a statement for South Carolina? I mean, as part of the National Guard. So we get this question a lot, um, but uh, as far as what is the state mission for the F-16 in South Carolina, right. there probably isn't a really good one for that, but. Okay. Uh, what we bring to the fight, and this is, again, kind of, I, I see it as a bargain for the taxpayer because we can swing between a federal mission or supporting the state efforts. For example, last October when we had the devastating floods in the Midlands, many of our citizen soldier, citizen airmen were called to state active duty by the governor to serve in that capacity. So, honestly, not necessarily a militia like we're defending something, but uh, our airmen were the ones coordinating the rescues, coordinating the uh, resupply efforts, and uh, any air activities that took place in South Carolina during that flood response. And, of course, the beauty of that is is they're trained for that. They have that training to bring all that to the table in such an emergency, just like the flooding that we had. Absolutely. So if... Uh, if, if you have a need for air planners, why not reach out to the folks that you have available to you who are experts in uh, planning air campaigns? Absolutely. Salute from the shore. Uh, I know this is their seventh year. I've talked to them for a couple of years now. How does it come about? Uh, last year they had the 20th uh, fly the coast. This year they're having the 169th from McIntyre. How does it come that the Air National Guard works with a 501c3 and salute from the shore and runs the table for them down the coast of South Carolina? Well, um, there's a process that the United States Air Force has where uh, if there is a significant event that's looking for some support from fighter aviation or military aviation, be it one of, the, uh, one of our sister services or the active component or the reserve component, um, there's a formal request process, and that is approved up uh, well above my pay grade up at the uh, headquarters Air Force level. I understand. Uh, is that the sound of freedom I hear behind you? Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, we appreciate you taking part in this celebration of, of the 4th of July. Um, obviously, I don't guess you've ever flown this. What, do you, what are your thoughts going into this? Because this is a, this is a big deal. I, from the pictures and the videos, there's a lot of red, white, and blue on the beaches. What are your thoughts going into it? Well, I think this is an opportunity for our citizens to see a little air power in, uh, you know, over their state uh, on the 4th of July. We're uh, celebrating the 240th birthday of our great nation, and pretty neat opportunity to be able to help be a part of that celebration in a state that is uh, incredibly supportive of our military. You know, you look back to uh, what we, our, our lineage for the 169th Fighter Wing, we call ourselves the Swamp Foxes, and we take that from General Francis Marion, 
who was uh, running around in these parts of uh, the fledgling nation yes. that was about to become the United States to uh, basically be a thorn in the side of the bridge, and he was quite successful at that. Well, I, I know during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, it always kind of gave me a little chill when you'd see the fighter jets taxiing on the runway, and you see that Swamp Fox emblem behind the cockpit, and you're like, yeah, those are our guys right there. Yes, sir. It's a, a very, very proud heritage that we have here at McIntyre. And, uh, you know, you take a look. Uh, we've got 50-odd uh, pilots that uh, fly in the squadron, either assigned or attached, and they take that same pride and uh, just just proud to be part of that organization. In fact, we just celebrated the 70th anniversary of the squadron itself, and we had pilots all the way back from flying the P-51 on the original days at McIntyre uh, to our youngest lieutenant showing up into the squadron. And just to get that group of folks, that, that group of people who served their nation for as long as they have and continue to serve, we have a... Our retiree group is extremely active and engaged in supporting the activities out here and supporting the nation. Just uh, pretty neat to put that all together and be a part of that organization. It's long and enduring. You know, one of the advantages of being in the Air National Guard is that uh, we're a relatively static population. We, we're around each other for years and years, and there are pros and cons to that. But at the end of the day, I look back and I go, you know, we're a part of something special, and it's pretty neat. That is that is absolutely true. Well, anything you want to say to anybody listening about coming out to the beach on July the 4th? Uh, hopefully it will be a beautiful summer day in South Carolina, and uh, I know that we're just one component of the uh, flyovers that will take place, that there's a, a bunch of heritage. I would, uh, you know, as, uh, the, as our citizens are out there looking up at uh, air power in demonstration, you know, you'll see the fighters, and then uh, you'll also see a lot of the heritage. And as you see the heritage aircraft go by, think back to the prices paid by those who went before us in the air and on the ground, the prices being paid by the folks who are deployed overseas right now, and uh, realize that uh, a lot of our citizens have family and friends out uh, protecting us. And uh, enabling us to go out to the beach and watch some airplanes fly by and uh, celebrate the 240th birthday of America. And that's what I hope that they do. Realize that it's not just a day off and a party, which it should be that, because that's how you want to celebrate the birthday of our nation. Right. But uh, to remember that there are many people out there standing watch to, to give them those freedoms. Well, Woodsman, I can speak for only one guy and his family in a radio show with Woods and Water, South Carolina is behind you guys every day of the year. I think we've got a lot of that support. I think you over do. Here in South Carolina, and we appreciate it. I think you do. Well, Colonel Gandhi, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be on the radio with me. Um, good luck flying down the coast. I hope to be down there myself waving a little red, white, and blue to you. And uh, as always, happy 4th of July. Thank you very much, sir. You have a great day. You did the same. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that show. It's always good to know where you come from and talk to some of the guys. Anyway, next week, Land Tawny, backcountry hunters and anglers. Until then, make time to get out there, take the back roads when you can. Don't forget the camera. Back with more Woods and Water South Carolina next week. Hit me from behind.